Welcome to another episode of the Vestibule Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Vest, founder and publisher of the Substack newsletter, The Vestibule. This episode is titled, They Take a Village, and bears the subtitle, Doctor Who Flux's Most Frightening Chapter Arrives in Village of the Angels. This review was first published on January 12th, 2022, and was written by myself, Jason P. Vest. The episode's pedigree is as follows. Village of the Angels, Chapter 4 of Series 13, Season-Long, 6-Episode, Serialized Story, Subtitled Flux, was written by Chris Chibnall and directed by Jamie Magnus Stone. It stars Jodie Whittaker as the 13th Doctor, Mandip Gill as Yasmin Yaz Khan, and John Bishop as Dan Lewis. Village of the Angels guest stars Jacob Anderson as Instin V. Vinder, Vincent Brimble as Uncle Gerald, Gemma Churchill as Aunt Jean, Thaddea Graham as Belle, Johnny Mathers as Passenger, Penelope McGee as Mrs. Hayward, Kevin McNally as Eustatius Jericho, Poppy Polivnik as Peggy, Roshenda Sandal as Azure, and Annabelle Scully as Claire Brown. The episode is 56 minutes long and was first broadcast on both BBC One and BBC America on November 21st, 2021. And now, on with the show. Can you tell me today's date, please? November 21st. And the year? 1967. Can you state your name, please? Claire Brown. And your date of birth? Well, you know this already. No. Control questions only. Date of birth. 13th of May, 1985. Hey, pardon? I said 13th of May, 1935. Oh, apologies. Word of advice, Miss Brown. Never get old, not even slightly. There it goes again. Twice, for no reason. It is empirically, factually, November the 21st, 1967. And you clearly know your own birthday. Yet the machine would suggest you believe neither statement. Problematic when you need a control reference, a baseline. Precisely. Oh, <laughs> I forgot you're very with it. physical distress, almost if she's physically experiencing the event she describes. Theta waves suggest a sleep state, yet she remains extraordinarily alert. <clears throat> Madriasis of the pupils, and yet no discernible trigger. Help me! Yes, of course, my dear. All in good time. There is no time. Not anymore. The end begins again now, and there will be no escape. Not this time. Not for her. Not for them. Not for you. The angel has the TARDIS. Section 1. Chills and Thrills For viewers who thought that Doctor Who Flux topped out early, in its second chapter, titled War of the Santarans, Series 13's fourth episode, the ominously titled Village of the Angels, would like a word. And that word, to quote Christopher Eccleston's redoubtable Ninth Doctor, is... Fantastic! Oh, Fantastic! Yes, dear listener, Team TARDIS continues its winning streak with an entry that returns the Weeping Angels to their terrifying roots as implacable, relentless, and unsettling foes. 
The Angels are among ex-showrunner Stephen Moffat's greatest contributions to New Who lore. Having been introduced in Series 3's classic 2007 installment Blink, starring David Tennant's Tenth Doctor, before being brought back, frequently enough, during Matt Smith's Eleventh Doctor tenure that their power to frighten viewers became diluted. Indeed, so adulterated that their appearance in Smith's final episode, 2013's Christmas Day special The Time of the Doctor, was relegated to two brief cameos the last of which played the Weeping Angels for laughs. This jokey reference might be Moffat's beleaguered confession that, yes, he'd diminished the forbidding reputation of these quantum-locked creatures, who turned to stone whenever observed, to the point that quips were all that remained, making Moffat's decision to keep Peter Capaldi's Twelfth Doctor from facing the Angels as a major nemesis during Series 8, 9, and 10 a wise move, even if a single Weeping Angel briefly appears in Season 9's finale, titled Hellbent. Chris Chibnall includes a solitary Weeping Angel as the 13th Doctor's fellow inmate in the Jadoon prison that confines them both during the early scenes of Revolution of the Daleks, Doctor Who's 2021 New Year's Day special. Nicknaming this cellmate Angela is the extent of any humor about the Weeping Angels that this episode hazards, meaning that faithful New Who viewers shouldn't reproach themselves for overlooking the Angels as a threat, big or small, to Jodie Whittaker's incarnation of Doctor Who's protagonist. Ever since Moffat left them behind in Series 7's The Angels Take Manhattan, these once fearsome antagonists seemed little more than a relic of Moffat's time as New Who's showrunner, as well as fictional creations that the British Broadcasting Corporation, or BBC, had apparently left in his exclusive control. Consider for context that their New Who appearances were all scripted by Moffat. Then-showrunner Russell T. Davis, as Moffat reveals during his audio commentary for Blink, included in the Series 3 Blu-ray and DVD box sets, made few suggestions about Moffat's script due to Blink's tight shooting schedule, meaning that Moffat's teleplay was put into production almost immediately after he submitted his second draft, leaving time for only one script meeting in an era when three or four were normal. The Angels' only television appearance not written by Moffat before Village of the Angels, moreover, comes during The Lost, the series finale of New Who's 2016-2017 one-season spinoff titled Class. Written by Patrick Ness, this entry, like each one of this short-lived program's eight episodes, was supervised by Moffat. So, when another weeping angel pops up in Flux's first chapter, titled The Halloween Apocalypse, to menace a woman named Claire, played by Annabelle Scully, audience members may be forgiven for thinking this cameo is merely a scare tactic, or a throwaway moment that Chibnall includes to jolt each viewer's adrenaline, even if the angel follows Claire home and attacks her just before she gets inside, thereby sending her into the past. As such, the appearance of a weeping angel during Flux's third chapter, titled Once Upon Time, comes as a mild surprise that rapidly escalates to serious danger when it threatens Yasmin Yaz Khan, played by Mandip Gill, who barely manages a last-minute escape in a development that cannot fully prepare us for the shocking revelation in Once Upon Time's final moments that the same weeping angel boards the TARDIS, grabs its controls, and hijacks the Doctor's plans to end the flux once and for all. I found this. Definitive work on the angels. Well, the only one. It's written by a madman. It's barely readable, but I've marked a few passages. Ooh, not bad, but slow in the middle. Didn't you hate his girlfriend? No, no, hang on. Wait, 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 wait. Dr. Song! 
Did you have more than one clip of the angel? No, just the four seconds. This book is wrong. What's wrong with this book? It's wrong. <laughs> it's so strange when you go all babyface. How early is this for you? Very early. So you don't know who I am yet? How do you know who I am? I don't always look the same. I've got pictures of all your faces. You never show up in the right order, though. I need the spotter's guide. Pictures? Why aren't there pictures? Why not show us what to look out for? There was that bit about images. What was that? Yes, hang on. That which holds the image of an angel becomes itself an angel. Doctor! What does that mean? An image of an angel becomes itself an angel. Section 2. Thrills and Chills. Village of the Angels, therefore, marks the second time that Chibnall appropriates an extraterrestrial species created during the Davis era for his own purposes. Just like the Jadoon in Series 12, Chibnall here builds on everything that's come before to fashion a story calibrated for his own preferences and concerns, which couldn't have been easy given Moffat's commitment during his time as showrunner to widening the Weeping Angels' backstory. Whereas the angels were terrifyingly, mysteriously silent in Blink, or, more properly, terrifying and mysterious because they remained silent, Moffat expands their background by giving the angels the ability to speak in and through their victims' voices in Series 5's first two-part installment, titled, respectively, The Time of Angels and Flesh and Stone. Not only that, he also introduces the concept that the image of an angel, if watched or contemplated long enough, becomes an angel itself, allowing any rendering of an angel, be it sketch, painting, photograph, or even live video feed, to spring to life as the plot demands. The fact that neither the Tenth Doctor, played by David Tennant, nor Sally Sparrow, played by Carrie Mulligan, the woman who first encounters the Weeping Angels in Blink, mentions this fact is not necessarily a plot hole either. Even if Sparrow, at Blink's conclusion, hands the Tenth Doctor a dossier with photos of Weeping Angels that might seem to endanger him in all sorts of ways, she never encounters this specific problem, making the Tenth Doctor's choice to withhold information about the danger that angel images pose a clever, or at least sensible, ploy to prevent overwhelming Sally with details that might distract her from the immediate threat she faces. The likeliest explanation, of course, is that Moffat hadn't fully developed the angel's history when circumstances forced him to complete Blink's teleplay in only a few days. Then, when time came to bring back his star monsters after winning the 2008 Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation Short Form for Blink, Moffat found it necessary to refine the angel's abilities in greater detail to justify their inclusion in not one, but two Series 5 installments. Fair enough, we might say, but Moffat's decision to return the Weeping Angels to our screens in the Angels Take Manhattan received backlash from fans after this installment's initial September 29th, 2012 broadcast, mostly for depicting the Statue of Liberty as a Weeping Angel in a moment that, while undeniably powerful, remains perplexing enough that no amount of head-scratching can explain it. 
Moffat then allows another errant angel to send the Eleventh Doctor's companions, Amy Pond, played by Karen Gillan, and Rory Williams, played by Arthur Darvill, back in time to the year 1938, to be precise, where they must live from that point forward and, to prevent a temporal paradox from destroying New York City, never see the Doctor again. This ending provides a convenient double exit for two characters who had journeyed alongside the 11th Doctor since his introduction in Series 5's excellent premiere episode, titled The 11th Hour. But, by doing so, Moffat falls prey to the temptation to drink from the Weeping Angel well once too often. Chris Chibnall, given this history, assigns himself a tremendous challenge by granting the Weeping Angels, starring roles in Flux's fourth chapter. But his success in making Village of the Angels, the best Flux installment yet, is cause for celebration. Ah, what happened? Sorry, threw a cup at you. I needed to shake you out of it. We're running out of options. I see what you mean. How do we get out? I'm beginning to question the wisdom of barricading ourselves somewhere with so few exits. Oh, Professor, do you not read your own floor plans? What? Assignation tunnel. Looks like the first owner of this house was somewhat of a scoundrel. A tunnel from the basement out to lover's meeting point. Don't look away! of the neutron flow might give you a little quantum headache. Section 3. Things That Go Bump Chibnall, for the first time in Flux, co-writes Chapter 4 with someone else. In this case, Maxine Alderton, whose solo work on the teleplay for Series 12's The Haunting of Villa Diodati, demonstrates just how well she can create a spooky storyline full of engaging personalities. Village of the Angels, as a result, includes remarkably tense scenes of the 13th Doctor, her companions, and its guest characters enduring weeping angel attacks that, if they don't send viewers diving behind their couches in the best Doctor Who tradition, at least cause certain audience members, meaning myself, to grip those couches' arms tighter as the Doctor feverishly tries to save everyone from doom while determining why she, Yaz, and new companion Dan Lewis, played by John Bishop, were brought to the small English village of Metterton, located on the Devonshire coast, in the year 1967. Chibnall and Alderton begin this installment by revealing that Claire's surname is Brown and that, after being assailed by the angel in the Halloween apocalypse, she was transported back to 1965. 
Two years later, she participates in paranormal research conducted by Professor Eustatius Jericho, played by Kevin McNally, who hooks Claire to a lie detector while questioning her about gloomy premonitions that, Jericho hopes, will reveal how such psychic phenomena work. The machine flags as false Claire's belief that the year is 1967, but as true her utterance that she was born in 1985. Claire quickly corrects this last mistake by saying she was born in 1935, but leaves Jericho flummoxed that she, a woman whom he clinically calls his percipient, is confused about significant dates in her own life. This confusion turns to shock when Claire spasms, then speaks in a deep, unnatural voice before eventually declaring, The angel has the TARDIS. How Claire can possibly know this fact proves significant to Chapter 4's resolution, but the manner by which Chibnall and Alderton set up Village of the Angels reminds longtime viewers of Hyde, the excellent Series 7 entry written by Luther creator Neil Cross and inspired by Shirley Jackson's novel The Haunting of Hill House that sees a male researcher named Alec Palmer, played by Doug Ray Scott, investigating strange happenings in a haunted house with the help of his psychic assistant, Emma Grayling, played by Jessica Rain. Village of the Angels riffs on this premise by making its drafty domicile Professor Jericho's property and its female psychic into Jericho's test subject, with both characters becoming accidental assistants to the 13th Doctor when she discovers their experiment just as groups of weeping angels arrive to assault Jericho's house from all sides. Barricading themselves into Jericho's basement provokes hasty attempts to fend off wave after wave of angel attacks, whose frenetic scares are skillfully staged by director Jamie Magnus Stone. Yaz and Dan, meanwhile, help the local townsfolk search for a missing girl named Peggy, played by Poppy Polivnik, soon after they arrive in Metterton, landing there only because the Doctor successfully uses a massive TARDIS cable to reboot her timeship and expel its angel hijacker. The Doctor then asks Yaz and Dan to find Peggy, whose disappearance seems fishy, before trotting off to Jericho's house. Both companions, after encountering Peggy's irritable and instantly unlikable great-uncle, Gerald, played by Vincent Brimble, and his long-suffering wife, Jean, played by Gemma Churchill, find themselves in an empty, foggy, nighttime field where another weeping angel lies in wait. Chibnall and Alderton, contrary to expectations, don't allow Yaz and Dan to engineer a clever escape from this predicament. Instead, the angel attacks and propels them backward in time to Metterton in the year 1901. The village of this era seems abandoned, yet Yaz and Dan soon locate ten-year-old Peggy, who not only understands that she was sent there by an angel attack, but also takes them to a roadway just outside Metterton that, in an astounding sight that marks a victory for Doctor Who's visual effects team, opens onto the twinkling starscape of deep space. Yes, that's correct. Yaz and Dan stand before the astonishing view of the roadway stopping and shearing downward, with chunks of rock and debris falling away, as if the entire village has been scooped from the ground and placed inside a bubble floating in space. Even worse, Peggy says this bubble is contracting and will eventually crush everything inside. This head-spinning predicament explains how and why Metterton's 1901 residence will never be seen again. As Peggy learns in her local history class, while still living in 1967, Yaz and Dan soon realize that they may be trapped in 1901, with no way to return to 1967, much less 2021, meaning that, unless they discover some way to contact the doctor, they and Peggy are fated to die. What does quantum extraction mean? 
They've taken the village out of time. Out of space. To isolate. To extract the target. What target? All right. You've got what you came for. I want you to take your rogue angel out of Claire without harming her. And put this village, these people, safely back into their lives. Come on, rogue angel. Tell them to do that, and I'll negotiate a deal between them and you. Well? No. What? My angel is saying no. It says it's made a better trade. That they've agreed not to take it. Because they'll take you instead. This was his plan all along. He hid in you. A human. To attract me. Because the only thing Division wants more than my angel... ...is you. You are recalled. Section 4. Angel Eyes. Back in 1967, however, matters spin out of control. The Doctor succeeds in jury-rigging a television set so that Jericho can monitor the Angel's progress breaking into his house, while linking minds with Claire to understand how she can speak with an Angel's voice and what Claire's visions of turning to stone mean. For Claire, becoming an angel is a terrifying prospect, as it would be for anyone. But the doctor discovers that, in fact, Claire's mind is possessed by a rogue angel fleeing an extraction squad of fellow members employed by Division, the temporal black ops agency that erased the doctor's memories of being the timeless child. This rogue angel, moreover, claims to have information about all Division activities, including details about the Doctor's life as the Timeless Child and as the Fugitive Doctor. As dramatic reversals go, this one is irresistible to audience members willing to follow Chibnall's by now staggeringly complicated Timeless Child storyline, which Village of the Angels reveals to be less a line than a branching tree whose limbs all bear unnerving implications. I sympathize with viewers who proclaim such intricacies too tough to track, much less care about, but find myself increasingly fascinated as Chibnall, with Alderton's assistance, adds new layers to this storyline's mythology. What, however, is the upshot? Taking refuge inside Claire's mind gives her rogue angel leverage to demand that the Doctor save it from capture. Annabelle Scully, by adroitly alternating Claire's fear with the Rogue Angel's confidence, gives a superb performance here and throughout Village of the Angels. Division's extraction squad soon breaks into Jericho's basement, forcing him to revive the Doctor and Claire so they can all attempt escape through a tunnel leading to the surface. 
This sequence, in which the Doctor, Claire, and Jericho tag-team each other, with two people keeping their eyes on the weeping angels that have invaded the tunnel while the third person moves forward, becomes a master class in suspense filmmaking, with director Jamie Magnus Stone ratcheting the tension so high that Whitaker, Scully, and Kevin McNally deserve plaudits for playing their character's simultaneous fear and resolve so well. Jericho, however, is caught and sent back in time to 1901 Meterton, where he finds Yaz, Dan, and Peggy facing a split in space-time, whose boundary cleverly mimics the visual technique of a split screen, making it an existential reality for all four characters who, while standing in the daylight of 1901 Meterton, can look across the boundary into 1967 Meterton, where night has fallen, and where village resident Mrs. Hayward, played by Penelope McGee, comes to view. Hayward, in a moment of startling force, says that she remembers these events because she is, in fact, Peggy 66 years in the future. The revelation that Peggy remains living in Metterton for nearly seven decades, never escaping her forced trip to the past, gives Village of the Angels an unexpected poignancy that viewers have scant time to appreciate once the Doctor and Claire arrive on the 1967 side, where a more dreadful disclosure awaits. Several dozen weeping angels join Claire atop the burial site, which is in fact the extraction squad's transport, bringing chilling resonance to the rogue angel's earlier words. The vision uses everything and everyone, every species, every world, every moment. They are everywhere, present and unseen. The possessed Claire, in other words, is a decoy whose plight fiendishly plays upon the Doctor's sympathies, allowing the angels to use her own best qualities against her. Then, in Flux's best climax yet, Claire says, You are recalled to division. And we watch, slack-jawed, as the Doctor transforms into a weeping angel. Yes, friends, Chibnall and Alderton go for broke here, taking their Weeping Angels storyline to the absolute limit by making the Doctor a member of this formidable species. As her body calcifies, a pair of stone wings grows from the Doctor's back while stone hands cover her eyes. This short sequence is remarkable to watch, even as it prompts us to ask, how much sense does this development make? How will the Doctor evade this quandary? Only time and Flux's final two chapters will tell, but for me, this conclusion is the sort of heart-stopping climax that New Who has always excelled at delivering. Jamie Magnus Stone's direction, Jodie Whittaker's performance, and Sagan Akinola's music, along with the stellar visual effects work, help fashion a final sequence of resounding horror that leaves me panting for more. As perfectly pitched as this resolution may be, Chibnall's constant raising of Flux's stakes now requires him to weave its twists, turns, and shocks into a satisfying tapestry that pays off as many moments like this one as possible, lest they seem, in retrospect, gratuitous attempts to compound the viewer's stress. Yet what a wild roller coaster ride Chibnall and Alderton provide in Village of the Angels. This installment is exhilarating, finely wrought, and, for my money, an instant classic. It's also the best Weeping Angels story since Blink premiered 10 seasons and 14 years before. So, huzzah to Chris Chibnall, Maxine Alderton, the cast, and the crew for renewing our faith that the Weeping Angels are the stuff of nightmares, for keeping us on the edges of our seats, and for making Village of the Angels Flux's finest chapter yet.
This Village of the Angels review includes an endnote section containing one informational note that I won't repeat now, but that you may hear by accessing They Take a Village on the digital device of your choice, by scrolling to the notes section near this article's end, and by pressing the play icon. You may access all four of the notes embedded hyperlinks there as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vestibule Podcast. Please visit the newsletter's website at vestibule.substack.com to read this entry, to explore the images and linked resources available there, and to access all other posts. Until next time, this is Jason Vest, wishing you courage and kindness.